Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. You can find it in your pew Bible starting on page 968, or you can pull it up on your Bible apps. The ESV version will be displayed on the screen. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Let us hear what God is saying to us today. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God bless the reading of his word. Pastor Jeff will now preach to us on the topic, grace given to give generously. Great alliteration, Pastor Jeff. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, I see some familiar faces. Maybe you guys are back visiting family or some of our OG former youth. It's good to see you guys too. Um, yeah, this morning I, I want to start off and maybe you'll entertain me by asking you to do something with me. So if I invite you to take both your hands, hold them up high, just like this. And I want you to close your hands into a tight fist. Squeeze as hard as you can. Check your neighbors. Make sure those knuckles are turning really white. Right? And you feel it. Now I want you to, to open your hands now with your palm facing up. You feel the, the difference and put your hands down. These, these two positions of being closed-fisted and open-handed are the positions of our own hearts when it comes to this idea of stewardship and generosity. And so we might think, well, which position is going to allow us to hold more and to do more? I have some uh, salt here with me this morning. And the thing about this is that with a closed fist, if I pour some salt into my hand, a closed fist that tightly keeps everything that we can hold for ourselves can only hold a, a fixed amount of salt, right? But if I were to open my hand and if I were to start to pour, you can see that I can hold an even taller amount. And some salt will still fall through my fingers, but at the same time, this tower of salt will continue to build, meaning that I can both receive more and give more. As salt is poured over this open hand, a good amount of salt right, is, is spilling through, 
to be used to bless others, and a good amount of salt is also piling up. So this is a picture of what generosity is. This is the, the joy of financial stewardship. I think this is what God has to say to us through Paul this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 9. Our passage is, is focused on the latter half of the chapter, but it's helpful for us to read the first few verses, right, just to set the context, right? We say Jesus is king, but context is queen. Right, so verses 1 to 5, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian, Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I've been telling them that your money is all collected. I, I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready yet after all that I had told them. And so I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So Paul is trying to put together this financial gift, this collection that we are familiar with as we've been going through, as we went through the book of Acts a little while ago, right? This gift for the Jerusalem church, this church who is probably facing some sort of economic hardship. And it's this gift that Paul has in mind that, that he hopes would deepen the interdependence and the appreciation between these two groups of people, between Gentile Christians and these Jewish Christians. Now, the Corinthians, they had initially shown eagerness to participate, but there were delays and there were concerns about the completion of their commitment. And so Paul is both commending them, he's commending and firming the Corinthians for their initial enthusiasm and encouraging them at the same time to excel in the grace of giving and to follow through with their generosity. And so now Paul launches now into the second half of chapter 9 about grace given to give generously. And so we see this first. Four motivations for us this morning for giving generously. The first is this, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, the more you give, the more you get to give more. Paul introduces this, this principle, this picture of sowing seeds, right? It's this farming analogy, but I think it may not be too foreign to us for those of us who have a lawn to take care of. You know, the point is that, that, that no farmer considers sowing as a loss, as a loss of seed, because they know that the harvest is going to provide the seed for the next season. They're investing in something. And so no farmer, as they're trying to prepare, they're not going to try and skimp out, right, when they're casting the seed onto the ground. So he's not like, oh, it pains me to have to give up the seed. I'm going to put one seed here and another seed there. Right? It's not like that at all. He knows that the more he sows, the greater the harvest will reap, and consequently, the more he will have to sow for the next harvest. In the same way, there, as I've been trying to 
take care of my lawn, and I've been, like, researching these themes on Reddit and whatever, right? I'm, I'm on all these lawn care subreddits and trying to understand what it takes. There's this thing called overseeding, right, when it comes to lawn care. It's this process of planting grass seeds over an existing lawn to, to basically really make sure the lawn will really grow and fill out next season. And as you're overseeding, you're not, real, you're not like, oh, well, let me put one seed here. Let me, let me, like, carefully, tactfully put another seed there. You're, just, you're spreading the seed literally everywhere, bountifully. You're sowing it generously with the purpose and the intention that it will lead to growth. It will lead to return, whether that's a sizable harvest or a fuller lawn. We'll see next spring if, if I was successful or not. But, but Paul's point, right, with this, uh, with this sowing analogy is not that the objective, the objective is not greater wealth. Right? But actually, it's greater generosity. It's not the more you give, the more you get. But the more you give, the more you get to give more. That's the point if we fast forward a little bit to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Grace given from God to give generously. And I think that idea, that nuance here is a little bit different from something like the prosperity gospel, which some of us might be familiar with. And the prosperity gospel has this thing called this law of compensation. Right? Give more to get more. And so if, if each of you contribute $1,000 to Pastor Jeff so he can buy a private jet to fly him to different churches around the world, then God will give you $10,000 in return. He won't. And people, people buy into that, right? Uh, because the objective sometimes, deep down in our hearts, the objective really is greater wealth, not greater generosity. One commentator said this, I like how you put it. He says, if you give in hopes of being materially rich, you will find yourself spiritually poor. Charles Spurgeon, at the same time, also told this story uh, called The Carrot and the Horse. It goes like this. A gardener presents his king with the greatest carrot he has ever grown. The king is touched, responds by giving the gardener a large plot of land. Nobleman passes by, witnesses this event, decides that it would be advantageous for him to present the king with his finest horse. He does so, and the king merely thanked him for the horse. This nobleman is, is confused. And so the king explains to him, well, you see, the gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. So the, the first motivation for us that we see in this passage this morning for giving generously is, is nurturing, sowing bountifully, to reap bountifully in order to do even more. The more you give, the more you get to give more, more generosity. The second motivation Verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. The word generosity is this idea of sincere concern, of singleness of heart. A cheerful giver is someone who gives freely. Not with the, the closed fist, right, with the white knuckles, but with an open hand. Not begrudgingly, not reluctantly, not with ulterior motives. In fact, it's interesting that in, in 2 Corinthians 8-9, to 9, these two chapters, Paul doesn't actually mention the word money 
so much as he keeps referring to this offering, this collection, he, he frames it as a ministry or as a service, reframing it as this financial help to others, to bless others, to bless another church, to bless another people. Chapter 8-4, it was a relief for the saints. Chapter 8-19, it was grace that was ministered by us. 8-20, it was a generous gift that is being administered by us. 9-1, it's a ministry for the saints. 9-12, it's a ministry of this service. 9-13, this service. It's all the same word, right? Uh, service or ministry. And so it's not simply about money in and of itself. And as Paul begins to, or continues to reframe our way of thinking about giving, he, he writes that God loves a cheerful giver. And so the motivation here is, is God. It's not, it's, it's obedience to God. It's not obedience to Paul, right? Paul doesn't say, right, each one must give as he has decided in his heart because Paul loves a cheerful giver, because Pastor Pat or Pastor Jeff or the BOE loves a cheerful giver, the focus, it's about the attitude fundamentally first, right? Not the amount. It's about wholehearted generosity and not half-hearted giving. And God loves a cheerful giver because we look to God and we see that he himself, he is a cheerful giver. A third motivation, verses 8 to 10. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God provides the means to be generous. God gives us grace. That grace can come in the form of material blessings, of provision, but can also come in the form of spiritual motivation. He gives us what we need for every good work. And five times, five times, Paul really drives at this point. He uses this word all to demonstrate the completeness of God's provision. So all grace all sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. Now, in the context of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, as he's talking to them and writing about their situation, that specific good work, right, is this act of charity for the Jerusalem collection, for the Jerusalem church. For us, we see that God gives us all that we need to be generous. And so look at this order here. Grace generates in us good work. Not the other way around, right? It's not good works that are earning God's grace, but God gives his grace. He shows this undeserved grace to us first so that we might then respond by being generous in every way. Generous giving is a sign of God's grace in our hearts and our lives. Generosity is a sign is a fruit of being spiritually rich, whether or not we are materially rich or not. He gives the example, Paul gives the example of the Macedonians. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The point, I think, that there's never a time when we cannot be generous. A fourth and last motivation. God is glorified. Generosity results in thanksgiving to God, right? God shows us grace, we respond with generosity, and that results in thanksgiving to God. Praise to him. This act of giving for the Corinthians would be this thank offering for two sides. Right? We thank God for what we've received, and others thank God for what they've received from us. Verses, nine, uh, verses 12 to 13, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So four motivations for giving generously. And that then for us this morning leads to four characteristics for giving generously. So the first is this. If the more you give, the more you get to give more. Then our one characteristic of giving generously is to give bountifully. Again, we remember, right? It's not about the, uh, the amount, but about the attitude. It's about wholehearted generosity, not half-hearted giving. And so I asked, you know, what if we thought about stewardship as we've been working through our way and we're concluding the sermon series on investing in eternity, the joy of financial stewardship? What if we thought about this whole topic, about giving bountifully, instead of asking ourselves, John Piper talks about this, he raises this question, instead of asking ourselves, well, how much should I give? Knowing that all that we have belongs to God, what if we asked ourselves instead, how much dare I keep? How much dare I spend on myself? How would that change the way we think about stewardship and generosity? Not how much should I give, but how much, knowing that all of it belongs to God, how much dare I keep for myself? If we're to, to give bountifully, Right? It needs to start somewhere. We recognize that. And, and generosity is a, a muscle that needs to be stretched. Practicing generosity is a little like weightlifting. Right? You don't start out benching your weight, much less more than your weight. Right? You start out small and it burns. You feel sore. Your muscle aches. You're ripping apart those muscle fibers or whatever, right, in order that it would get bigger, so you get swollen, whatever. But over time, right, it begins to feel good as you begin to work out, as you begin to push yourself and stretch yourself. If we practice sharing our generosity when we have little, it becomes a habit that increases along with the gifts that God gives to us. A second characteristic, God loves a cheerful giver, then we ought to 
give joyfully. There's an episode of the TV show Friends, and I know at this point I might be dating myself a little bit, uh, that explores whether we can give joyfully without being selfish. And you might not expect this from like one of those comedic sitcoms, right? Uh, but I think there's a tie between this episode and what 2 Corinthians is calling us to do, which is to give cheerfully, to give joyfully. So if you're not familiar with friends, uh, in this episode there's these two characters, Joey and Phoebe. Joey makes this claim that there's no such thing as a selfless good deed. Because if you do a good deed and it makes you feel good, then it is selfish. And Phoebe spends the rest of the episode trying to prove him wrong. She's like, oh, I got, stunned. I got purposely stunned by a bee uh, so that the bee could look good in front of his little bee friends. And then Joey's like, well, you know the bee probably died, right? And then she failed, right? And the episode continues, right? And, and this idea of, of human beings always being motivated by selfishness, it's what we call psychological egoism. So Friends, this episode of Friends is talking about this idea of psychological egoism. And so the question as it relates to our passage is this. Can you give generously and give joyfully, feel good about it, even joyful, without it being selfish? And I think the short answer is yes, you can. Feeling good after being generous is, is not selfish. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give freely and to enjoy the act of giving, not to do it as a ritual, not to do it as a burden or a legalistic obligation. The joy is a blessing from God. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. God doesn't want us to feel bad about doing something good. Again, Piper talks about this joy when he says, we value most what we delight in most. Pleasure is a gauge that measures how valuable someone or something is to us. He says, if a friend says to you, right, I really enjoy being with you, you wouldn't accuse them of being self-centered, would you? Why? Because your friend's delight in you is the evidence that you have great value in their heart. In fact, you'd be dishonored if he or that she didn't experience any pleasure in your friendship. And the same is true of God. How do we give joyfully? Because I, I think there is a way as we're going up through this scripture, and we're thinking about this passage and what God is calling us to do. I think there sometimes, maybe due to our own sinful hearts or sinful ways, there is a way to twist what Paul is saying here. Right? And that we do that maybe when, if we're going to put joy as the sole purpose, joy itself as the sole purpose. So there's a little story, right? A mother gave her child a $1 bill and a quarter. Sweetheart, the mother said, you can place either one in the offering plate. It's entirely up to you. As they were driving home, the mother asked the daughter what she had decided to give. Well, at first I was going to give the dollar, said the, uh, uh, said the daughter, but the man behind the pulpit said, God loves a cheerful giver, so I felt like I would be much more cheerful if I gave the quarter instead. <laughs> Don't think that's exactly what Scripture is getting at here when it, in, when it instructs us to give joyfully. Let me share another story that I shared a while back, so you might remember this, but uh, I think it's still applicable here. 
It's about a former teacher and mentor of mine, and I had asked permission from him to share this. He had, had grown up pretty poor. As a kid, he was a thief, actually. Money was this thing that was going to solve his problems. You know, after coming to Christ, he began to notice his desire for money. This began in, as early as high school. So he began to challenge and test himself. He said, how do I know if I'm really generous unless I put myself in situations to be so and then to see what happens? Because he would often say, and he said this to me, that the greatest deception that we can have as Christians is not Satan, but self. And so he, he worked for months to earn $200, which seemed like $2,000 to a 16-year-old at the time in the 90s. And then secretly, he would give it away to visiting missionaries. He wouldn't tell anyone. He experienced so much joy that it was uncontainable. Anytime that he would feel that internal sting for more, more money, he would create a test project, because that was the, the type of person that he was. And later on in college, he was only making $200 a week. And it all went to his college debt. But he realized that he, that he was giving himself to debt over God. And so he began to give a few dollars one week. And man, it, it hurt. It stunned. He's not happy about it. He's not joyful. And then he determined, what? I'm going to keep giving until it doesn't hurt. He thought, you know, where had my joy in giving gone? He says, evidently, like a fading flower, it had to be nurtured. Like a fruit, it had to grow. Like a muscle, it needed to be stretched. And so each week he upped it and upped it, and each week it kept hurting. And at one point, the college finance department, he says, reached out to him, asking why he wasn't allocating as much to his loans as before. But for him, he was determined to break the grip that money had on him and on his heart, which he actually didn't even know he had until he started to give. So $50, $75, $100, one one day he just signs over the whole check. And he mentioned that the key for him was he wasn't really telling anyone. It was between him and God. That day, he... He says he had a spell of euphoria, of joy, so much it rocked his world. So intense. And he says he's never looked back since. And even now, even now when, when people give him, his family, money for food, for clothing, for gas, to stay warm in the winter, his family knows that he's going to use some portion for someone else just to keep watering that generosity plant in his life. A few caveats, right? Clarification. Of course, we should be paying off our debt. We need to be fiscally responsible. And we, we ought to know that, you know, God has provided for us, sometimes through these means. And, and that's what this mentor of mine did, too. And there's nothing wrong with, with buying stuff. As he mentioned to me, right, that he says this, that a person has to know when they are in possession of things or when things are in possession of them. The point of his testimony was who or what does your heart belong to? Where does your joy come from? 
And I think his example, his story, it, it's a challenge to each and every one of us, especially those of us who have been blessed with an abundance of resources to give uh, faithfully, to faithfully steward for God and to give joyfully. A third characteristic, give faithfully. Verses 8 to 10 talks about how God is the one who enriches us in every way to be generous in every way. He is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And yet sometimes the, the opposite of giving faithfully is giving God our leftovers. We give God our leftovers sometimes because we, deep down, we trust in money and not in God. When I was uh, first starting out in ministry, long time now, uh, Yin and I were, were in a different state. We were living separately because she was still uh, finishing med school uh, far from me. Uh, and so we were living in two separate places, even though we were married. And, and so we were paying double rent. We weren't making a lot, uh, but we were still trying to, you know, invest in eternity and be joyful financial stewards and all that stuff. What happened was I was having a conversation, uh, my family, my parents, my mom actually, uh, about giving and generosity. And uh, she, we had been talking about giving to church and just generosity and giving. And, and in love, she, uh, she calls me out. And I don't know if you have someone in your life, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's not, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, a close friend, accountability partner who can have these conversations with you. But for her, you know, she saw how much I was giving. And really what she drilled down to was she called me out on my lack of faith. And she was like, you need to trust in God. Immediately, my heart, my response was like, well, I'm not getting paid a lot. I'm paying double rent. I need to support my own family financially. I need to have a financially secure future. I'm already giving. I'm, I'm giving 10%, and I know it may not seem like a lot because 10% of basically nothing is still nothing, but it hurts, Right? And again, I, I want you to, to hear this, right? The point, as I share these stories, right, it's not for us to fixate on numbers and percentages or to compare with one another or what rule or measure do I need to meet to be right with God, but to focus really on ourselves and to be aware of what is our treasure? Where is our trust? Because for some people, right, 10% might feel like a drop in the bucket, and for others, 10% might feel like 100%. The point is that when, when my, my family pointed it out, God was waking me up to see that I was stewarding God's money without joy and with only justification. My response revealed my heart, right? That showed I actually don't trust God. I trust money. I'm not giving faithfully. I'm giving grudgingly. And so I would encourage you to ask yourselves the same question, especially as we just celebrated Thanksgiving, right? When we, when you steward God's treasures, is there joy or is there justification? A fourth and last characteristic, give purposefully. Here at uh, CBCGB, uh, there are a number of funds that you can give to. There are a number of ways to give. And a lot has changed since the pandemic. 
I remember it was like two nights before March 15, 2020. We we're about to go online, and I think me and, and Jason and, and Emily were in my office. We we're trying to set everything up the live stream and the online giving, and it was crazy. There was just all these, a bunch of emails, because everything was going to change, right? We didn't have online giving before the pandemic. We set that up, right? And, and now we don't pass around an offering bag anymore, but there is an offering box in the back if people still like to write checks, or, or they can mail it in, or you can use bill pay and have your bank do it for you, right? Multiple ways. But one thing hasn't changed, though, is that we still set aside intentionally time in our service to worship through giving. Right, we talked about worshiping through, through song, through musical worship. We worship through the reading of scripture, through the preaching of his word. We worship through giving as well. Now, I recognize that even as we are spending that time, setting aside that time as we continue to sing song. There may not be actually a lot of time to scan that QR code or to go to the back and drop off a check, right? But, but symbolically, right, we still put aside time to focus in glorifying God. Time is here as we continue in glorifying God uh, for us to remember that giving bountifully, giving joyfully, giving faithfully, and giving purposefully it's all an act of worship. Now, if you do go to our online giving page, uh, there are a number of funds, and, and I get it. It can be like really complicated. I've been here for like 30-plus years, right, and I'm still learning uh, a lot about how all this works. Um, but it might still be helpful for you as members of this church to also understand, right, if we're going to do all these things that I think Second Corinthians is, is pointing out. And so there's the general fund. Maybe you've heard of this term before. Maybe you have, right? This is basically the default option where, you know, money goes. If you're putting money in the offering box or if you're milling in a check, if you're uh, not specifying anything on the memo line, right, this is where it all goes. And this general fund actually covers so many different things, from things like teaching materials for children's ministry to the really good beans that we use for coffee ministry that are in your cups or some of your cups right now, to, to staffing salaries and benefits, to even the insurance for those church vans that we have parked in 151 that are used to carry people to and from Alwife and other places. The missions fund helps to support our ministry partners both here and abroad. Our social concerns fund helps to support uh, partners and organizations who are doing God's justice work. The, the benevolence fund I talked about last week Supporting people in our midst who need financial help. The church building expansion fund is used for the building project. The memorial fund, that, that one's kind of new. That was set up in the middle of the pandemic in honor of the late wife of our senior pastor, Pastor Pan. And this, this fund is used to provide financial support to those seeking a seminary education or those seeking to publish Christian books or articles. And actually, there's actually like a lot more funds, because we're a big church, right, that aren't even listed here. There's a capital fund that helps to maintain our, our building or to, to cover like big expenses like uh, equipment or I think maybe, maybe the new carpet that you see that your, your feet are on, right, all these different things, right? There's the bookstore fund. I don't know if you knew we had a bookstore. There's a bookstore by the elevator. Um, there's the short-term missions teams funds. There's a VBS fund. There's a medical hardship fund. There's even an emergency reserve fund that we have as a church. Some of you guys have your own emergency funds, right, a rainy day fund. We have one as, 
as well because we want to be prepared. We want to be fiscally responsible. And I'm not trying to overwhelm you, even though I get that you might be uh, drinking from a fire hose right now. I totally get if it's overwhelming. Like, we are a fairly big church. And there is a lot into keeping things running, just the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month stuff. But I think at the same time, as followers of Jesus, as church members, we also have a responsibility as stewards of God's grace to give purposefully. And I think there are many ways to do that, and that can just begin right here. Each week or every month or however frequent you want to do it. And as we do so, we pray that how Paul ends this chapter would be true. That people would glorify God because of our submission that comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. And they would glorify God because of the generosity of our contribution because of the surpassing grace of God given to us. And all together, we might continually exclaim together, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks and praise for your grace to us. This gift of salvation that allows us to have new life and a new relationship, full relationship with you, but also the common grace that you give to us, the provision that you give to us, the, the care and the compassion that you show to us. And we pray that we would live uh, in light of that, respond in generosity for those around us, for the people in our community, uh, for other churches, for our own church, for the people that you've placed in our lives. Lord, mold and shape our hearts so that we might become a cheerful giver like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.